Happy Friday! Flintstones, meet the Flintstones! Abba yabba dabba doo a dabba doo a dabba doo da day! Did you like my bad singing? I think that was at the end when it was like quitting time and Fred would slide off that big brontosaurus looking thing, fly into his car, clock out with that slate of rock and then he'd get his feet going, get the car going. Well, it's Friday and it's 6.09. And I don't know about all of you, but on Ontario, it's 80 degrees Fahrenheit. I'm sorry, I don't do Celsius. I really can't understand Celsius. I really don't get it. It's not a real, uh, it's not a real temperature. I, I know Canada's metric, but I, I can't get the, the Celsius thing. It's 80 degrees Fahrenheit. And you know what? I got a great headache because I'm a sissy. My dad is all Jamaican and he's in Barbados right now. He's 93. And you can bet he doesn't have a headache. <laughs> you know, folks, before we pray, Genesis 48, I've been looking at a lot of videos about narcissism. Covert narcissism, narcissistic disorder. And I think that that's what sin is. Satan is a grandiose narcissist or a malignant narcissist. We all have that in us. Pride, ego, entitlement, trying to get out of our responsibilities, trying to shift the blame somewhere else. That's what Adam and Eve did, right? In the beginning, that's what sin is itself. It's worshiping self. It's not trusting in God, it's trusting in ourselves and trying to make us the God and we're not blameless. But I think there may be a lot of covert narcissism. It sounds like it's an altogether different level. And I, you know, men accusing women of being covert narcissists, women accusing men of being covert narcissists, and that's, that's sad because it's going to mean the end of relationships, long-term relationships of marriages, a lot of fatherless children, you know, a lot of stuff going on, every side blaming the other side, blame shifting, blame shifting, blame shifting, not being able to have um, good long-term emotional conversations, not being able to work out things and not being able to trust and forgive. Like all the videos on YouTube, it's about humans figuring out about narcissism and what you can do about it and how you can combat it. And a lady said, if a person is a narcissist, you're not gonna be able to change them. Well, God can change a narcissist and God can help us as Christians. He can help us forgive people who have done things to us that we believe is narcissistic. But the thing is you have to still protect yourself. You have to maintain borders. You can't save somebody by getting too close to them. We can forgive somebody. Jesus says, pray for them which despitefully use you because a narcissist will use you to get what they want out of you. And when they find someone better or you're onto them, they'll drop you, but they might try to trash your reputation. See, we are Christians and we do know that God can change a person. But if a person is a narcissist, but they're a Christian, maybe they, they want to do what is right, but they're still operating under the old system of self. If you come from a broken family or a broken dysfunctional family or your mother's a narcissist, you might be a narcissist too, whether you're a man or a girl. It's an adaption. But here's the thing. If you don't recognize that you're a narcissist, how are you going to be able to invoke the Holy Spirit to come and transform your life? If you are not willing to acknowledge, if you're not willing to take accountability and responsibility, and if you live with a partner who's a narcissist, how are you going to live with that person? You're the one who will always be giving and they'll always be the one who's taking. And I think when the Bible says, do not marry an unbeliever, 
I think that if you want to get married to somebody and you're a Christian and you want to make something work and you're willing to take a accountability and responsibility for your own pride, sin and ego and narcissism and you find somebody else, the opposite sex to do that, you better make sure they believe in God too. Because if they don't, it's going to be harder. It's going to be harder. The Bible is once again proved. The world doesn't know anything about forgiveness um, forgiveness and God transforming somebody, but we do. But we still have to be smart about it. You still have to get wisdom. I get wisdom from YouTube. I'm going to wisdom YouTube for religion, for aquariums, and now this stuff because of something that's going on in my own church. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I don't know if it's right. I'm not a subject matter expert. I don't want to accuse anybody of anything. I just ask for wisdom, but I just can't sit around and just expect it to drop on my head. I have to go looking for knowledge and wisdom and understanding and then bring it to you. And I think, Lord, that you are the expert on everything. You are the genius. You are the subject matter expert. I'm just the layman trying to gather and assess things so I can make good decisions. You're the one that helps us make the good decisions. You are wisdom incarnate. You are the one who has the Holy Spirit. You are the one who transforms us from selfish, prideful narcissists into other-centered, sacrificial love kind of people, into agape love. Please do so now, but help us to be aware and to take you very seriously. The devil is trying to crush and destroy us with his narcissism, and he's trying to turn us into prideful beings who cannot have a long-term relationship with you. So bless us now as we read your word. Speak to us, Lord. Soften our hearts and transform our hearts from people who are just religious and ritualistic to people who have a serious relationship with you and our Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray. Love you. Amen. One day, not long after this word came to Joseph, your father is failing rapidly. So Joseph went to visit his father and he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. I kind of dread this sometimes since my dad is 93, but I don't see my dad weakening at all. His blood sugar is a little high, but people could say to me, well, you've had 93 years with your dad. Well, you know, I've had 58 years, but he's 93. I don't care. I still want my dad to be well. And I'm glad that he's getting to travel and, and, and see the world and see, you know, he's from Jamaica, but he's gone to Barbados. And it's, I'm sure it's as hot as here. Maybe it's even hotter. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't have a headache because he's really tough. He can take heat. I mean, obviously he's older, but he can take heat. But I'm glad that he's somewhere and I'm glad he's safe. And, but I dread the day if it ever happened where, you know, my brother ever says, hey, dad is sick. I want you to get on a plane and come here. But I thank God that my dad has not, not gotten sick. And he managed to beat the cancer. He had GI cancer and they cut it out three inches of his uh, large intestine. And he has to watch what he eats, but he seems to be fine. The thing went into a box and it hasn't come back out yet in three years. Thank God. When Joseph arrived, Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to see you. So Jacob gathered his strength and sat up in his bed. Now, I think Jacob, uh, we read this, he's 137 years old. So he's old. Um, and I guess, you know, it's, it's his time, but he's 137 years old. So he saw 93 years uh, a long time ago, right? He saw it like 40, 43 years ago or something like that. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He said to me, I will make you fruitful and I will multiply your descendants. 
I will make you a multitude of nations and I will give this land of Canaan to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Now I am claiming as my own sons these two boys of yours, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born here in the land of Egypt before I arrived. They will be my sons just as Reuben and Simeon are. But any children born to you in the future will be your own, and they will inherit land within the territories of their brothers Ephraim and Manasseh. Well, I don't remember reading this, so this is actually very interesting. So he's actually, so this, this is God speaking to him. This is God telling him this. Long ago, as I was returning from Padam Aram, Rachel died in the land of Canaan. We were still on the way some distance from Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So with great sorrow, I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath. Bethlehem Ephrata, out of you shall come he who is to rule many. I think that's in Micah. Isn't it? I just didn't realize she died. She died um, close to Bethlehem. And I think he loved her very deeply. I mean, he loved, you know, Leah too, right? But he loved her. I guess he loved her more. Then Jacob looked over at the two boys. Are these your sons? He asked. Yes, Joseph told him. These are the sons God has given me here in Egypt. And Jacob said, bring them closer to me so I can bless them. Jacob was half blind because of his age and could hardly see. So Joseph, just like Isaac, Isaac was old and that happened to him too. Remember, he was the one that got tricked um, by Jacob. So Joseph brought the boys close to him and Jacob kissed and embraced them. Then Jacob said to Joseph, I never thought I would see your face again, but now God has let me see your children too. Joseph moved the boys who were at their grandfather's knees and he bowed with his face to the ground. Then he positioned the boys in front of Jacob. With his right hand, he directed Ephraim toward Jacob's left hand. And with his left hand, he put Manasseh at Jacob's right hand. But Jacob crossed his arms as he reached out to lay his hands on the boy's heads. He put his right hand on the head of Ephraim, though he was the younger boy, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, though he was the firstborn. Interesting. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my day to this very day, all my life to this very day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm. So he's calling God an angel, a, a being, a shepherd. He's calling, and so he's calling Jesus all of these things. I only say this because Jesus is not an angel, but there are some incidences in Revelation talking about an angel who takes a vow like God would take. And I'm just wondering if in Revelation, Jesus calls himself an angel. Because God is not an angel and Jesus is not an angel. But there are some passages going on in, the, in Revelation where an angel is saying things that I thought only God would say. Could be an angel messenger though speaking for God. Because I mean, certainly in the book of Exodus, there are angels that are speaking for God. And the Bible says, well, God gave them to angels who gave them to Moses, right? Moses could not look upon the face of God physically, although um, God did say, I, I speak to Moses face to face. Is that actually face to face or is it just like heart to heart, soul to soul kind of thing? I mean, we do, we are, as Christians, we say we seek God's face. You know, when I seek God's face, I seek Jesus. I kind of see Jesus. I kind of see God. I don't see him with a face. I guess I just see him as a light. When you envision God, what do you see in your head? What is what does your imagination tell you? What what does the inner universe of your mind tell you? Is God a light? 
Is he transcendent? Does he look like Jesus? Is he a, a light being sitting on the throne like in the book of Ezekiel with the rainbow over his head? May they preserve my name and the names of Abraham and Isaac and may their descendants multiply greatly throughout the earth. But Joseph was upset when he saw that his father placed his right hand on Ephraim's head. So Joseph lifted it to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. No, my father, he said, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. So he wanted to move it. He wanted the, the firstborn Manasseh to get the blessing. But somehow Jacob is not doing that. Like this is from God somehow. Like it just, it, it's, it's, not, it's counterintuitive, right? It's counterintuitive. But his father refused. I know my son, I know, he replied. Manasseh will also become a great nation, but his younger brother will become even greater and his descendants will become a multitude of nations. So they're both blessed, but somehow there's a greater blessing on the younger, on the younger um, born. So Jacob blessed the boys that day with this blessing. The people of Israel will use your names when they give a blessing. They will say, may God make you as prosperous as Ephraim and Manasseh. In this way, Jacob put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. I mean, I think I've read this story before. I don't really remember it in great detail. I'm just thinking maybe there'll be things in the Bible about why this, why God had him do this. Is it, is it that sometimes we expect God to do something and then he doesn't do it the way we think? Is that what this is about? The Jewish folks looked at Jesus and said, he can't be the Messiah. He doesn't have any power. He comes from a crummy nation. He comes from a crummy town. He's way too meek and humble. We're looking for somebody else to deliver us from the Romans. Jesus didn't fit their expectations. The, the Palm Sunday, he rolled into Jerusalem. Everybody's like, this is the king. He's going to do it. And by the week was over, they had killed him. And of course, you know, the Gentiles killed him. Our sins killed him. And I'm sure the devil was there too. The devil was in the crowd inciting a riot against Jesus Christ. The devil murdered Jesus. He had his hand in the whole thing. But God uses a good, an evil thing to accomplish good things. That's how God, that's how clever God is. He can't outsmart God. But, you know, Jesus just didn't fit the bill. And now everybody wants a God, a Messiah, a Savior, um, just as long as it's not Jesus Christ for some reason. Then Jacob said to Joseph, look, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will take you back to Canaan, the land of your ancestors. And beyond what I've given your brothers, I'm giving you an extra portion of the land that I took from the Amorites with my sword and bow. Very, very interesting. An extra, extra part of the land. Not quite sure. Some parts of this I'm not quite sure is important. I'm sure maybe, maybe it is important. God, why would God tell us this unless it's going to come around later on? I think I also want to say that in the church that I came from, um, there was a woman who said she was speaking for God. I've said, I called her an, a false prophet and antichrist, and she is. Because I think that inside all people, except for Jesus Christ, is the spirit of pride and ego and narcissism. And if you exchange Jesus, who was meek and humble, right? Meek and humble, that's one of the Beatitudes. Moses was meek and humble, and Jesus says, I am meek and humble, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find a relationship in God that's restful. If you exchange that for pride and ego, if you try to have a relationship with a narcissist, you will 
you will blunt the Spirit of God and you will not be transformed. And the people in my former church have exchanged Jesus Christ, the Savior, for the na for this lady who is feigning out to be a humble prophet but is actually toxic and narcissistic too. I would tell you her name, maybe some of you have already guessed, but I don't think it's wise because I don't really want to hurt some of the people that are still in that church. God says, come out of her, my people, Revelation 18, verse 4. Come out of a false church. Come out of false theology. Come out of an ism. It starts with an A and it ends with an ism. Come out of false theology, false teaching. Come out, my people. Maybe there's still some people in there. I just don't know why they're not coming out. But when you put a false other person who says there's, there's, they say they're speaking for God. They say that she says she's speaking for God and writing books about Christ. But the fundamental beliefs say that she is, she has divine inspiration, which is word gymnastics covering up a lie. When you exchange the spirit of God that promotes humility and, 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 uh, gentleness and meekness and you exchange it for somebody else's words somebody else who says they're speaking for God you're exchanging truth for a lie you're exchanging meek and humility and teachableness and malleableness um, for pride ego and entitlement and that won't get you close to God that will get you put very far away that will get you the second death you don't want to be under that. Thanks for listening. I hope I didn't confuse you. God bless you all on this very hot Ontario day.